Welcome to another episode of the Creative on Purpose broadcast, conversations about finding fulfillment through more meaningful work. I'm your host, Scott Perry, author of Creative on Purpose, available on Amazon, or visit BeCreativeOnPurpose.com to get started with free chapters. Let's meet today's guest. Jacqueline T.D. Wynn, welcome to the broadcast. Please introduce yourself and share a project you're currently working on or excited about. Hi, Scott. Thank you so much for having me on the show. So uh, like I said, my name is Jacqueline T.D. Wynn, and you can find me on the web. Uh, my parenting sh- podcast is on parentpumpradio.com. My leadership development website, and which you can also link through my speaker as a speaker, is integrativeminds.com. And go on integrativeminds.com and you'll find everything about me from being a leadership coach to a trainer to the radio show host, as well as a speaker. And so what's a, a project that you're currently working on that you're, you're really excited about? Uh, well, you know, I am all about leadership, uh, parents as leaders. And so what I'm working on right now is my online eight-week program, where after they read my book, we now dive deep and get into building that foundation for the family. And I figure summer is here coming and children are out of school. This is a great time to get the family together and work on the foundation as a family. Oh, fantastic! So, uh, what are some of the what are some of the underlying principles of of that program? Well, first of all, uh, a lot of times when I t- ask parents, you know, what's the family's purpose? They don't know. So, what's important to your family? They don't know. What vision do you have for your children? What do they have for themselves? They don't know. So, as a wise man said, if you don't know where you're going you're not going to be where you want to be, right? So, <laughs> and so um, my whole goal is to get the family together. Find this foundation. You know, what are your family's core value? Do you know what's important to your kids? Once we find values, as you know, Scott, that leads to purpose, goal setting, and vision. So that's why how you get the family on board, because if you're trying to get your children to do homework, take out the trash, to make their lunch, and it's a battle, why is it? Maybe because you're not on the same page as why that's important. Really interesting. So one of the things that I that I am struck by, was struck by uh, in both getting married and in beginning my parenting journey is that how much time we spend uh, preparing for the event. So when you're going to get married, you spend a lot of time preparing for the wedding and going to maybe you, you have classes with uh, whoever's going to facilitate the wedding, the ceremony, and you meet with caterers and you meet with dressmakers and you meet with you do all this preparation for the event. And there is absolutely no preparation for how you how you approach that journey of being a partner. And we do the same thing with, um, with our kids. I mean, we prepare for the moment of the birth and we go to Lamaze classes or, or what have you. And we spend all this time uh, preparing for an event that's going to take less than a day. And (laughs) we spend absolutely no time preparing people for the 18 plus year journey of, of parenting. 
Um, so you, you mentioned kind of winging it, and that's kind of what we all end up doing as parents. So what what brought you to to this work? Well, I think like all of us, something happened in our past, right, that we become very passionate and advocate for it. I came from a Asian military family. So I was very strict and it was all about top down, do what you're told. And so my family had great values and principles and and boundaries, but they lack in the win-win as we call it in business and in life, right? Like, okay, how do we both win in doing this? It was all about what my parents wanted. And we were supposed to be doctors, lawyers, or engineers. That was it. Those were the three choices. And so I realized that in, as I got into college, I deviated the opposite spectrum, which what a lot of us do. And as I had my own kids, I realized that and you know what? It wasn't that bad. I need to take what worked from what my parents did, which was the, the values and the heritage of many generations before and the family, take that and bring in what the new parenting, the positive parenting, the conscious parenting, which is about the win-win situation, understanding what's important for my children, understanding what's important for all of us and working side by side as if it was a business, right? In a business, if you have employees, they got to be happy or you're not going to be successful. Yeah, really interesting. So you got the double whammy, uh, <laughs> Asian parents, military parents, holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, uh, I mean, and so it's interesting. When I look at all the information there is about leadership about parenting um uh, all the studies being done but it's it's more than than that even it's it's the availability of information i mean i think it's a great time to be a parent because you have access to a lot of great information a lot of it a lot of great science um, based on behavioral psychology and and other disciplines that's that's revealing that some of the things that I practice as a parent and some of the things that were practiced on me by my parents are have you know have been proven to not really um, work the way that that we might have hoped for. Um, so what do you think are some of the 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 biggest differences in the way that you or I might have been raised? Um, you know, a generation or two ago, as opposed to the way that that children um, can and should be raised now? Well, first of all, I have four younger sisters. So we have five girls in our family. Uh, My youngest sister is six years younger than me. So we're talking pretty much every year my mom had a baby. (laughs) And what we realize now, right, is that no matter how, what, if all these children are reared in the same family, they turn out different, which means that each individual children is different, but yet a lot of times parents raise all the kids the same way. I think now that's why a lot of twins are now being reared, like, you know, they don't want them in the same class. They're not dressing the twins the same as, you know, identical. Parents are realizing that we are all different, but you and I will probably raise with siblings all the same way, same rules, 
what we like the same way, the same way we communicate. And we realize now through neuroscience, through communication, through NLP, that we all speak different languages. Mm, interesting. And so the, the treating each each child as an individual, I mean, and, and that seems like it, some of some of what ha- is happening now in parenting and ed- education is rubbing up against old ways of looking at things that are really based on a different, an entirely different age. I mean, we we grew up in kind of the age of industrial economy, consumer economy, and schools, and to a certain degree, um, the way we raised our kids was done in a way that would help people succeed and feed. Uh, a model uh, of, you know, adulthood that's no longer really out there Mm -hmm. for us. So how do we, how how do, how do we as parents, um, you know, prepare kids for operating, you know, treating them as individuals and helping cultivate their innate you know, uniqueness and their, uh, you know, their own creative capacity and identifying their own purpose. Um, when a lot of, a lot of the messages coming through schooling and through the culture is, is, is kind of geared towards an earlier age. That's not really there anymore. You know, Scott, you and I were raised probably in a time where we were told what, get good grades, go to school go to college, get a job, stay in that job, invest in your 401k, and then, you know, white knuckle it, even if you hate it until you you get your pension and then you retire. And you're supposed to not like your job, that you're not supposed to be happy with your job. That is a job. But now, as we know with technology, those kind of jobs are really non-existent because you're not going to really find a job where you're going to work all the way till you're 65. And because of the internet, entrepreneurship has risen because you can work from home. You can create, you don't even need a college education. We have junior high, elementary school kids who are on YouTube or making millions of dollars. And I think how you cultivate that because school is, that's a whole other subject (laughs) because that's common core. And I have, you know, lots of opinion on that, but school is, kind of outdated. They're on a system that was probably 100 years old that's not really cultivating that entrepreneurial mindship in our children. And so as parents, we need to cultivate that, that entrepreneurial mindset where whether, and actually even companies like Google's and Zappos and Amazon, they're looking for employees who have an entrepreneurial mindset, who even though they're an employee, when they come in, they're thinking this job is really a way of how I can make this company better, right? It's like my business. And employers are now looking for that mindset. And as parents, we need to kind of cultivate that part of our children. Yeah, that, well, I, I, I call it, um, you, I, I feel like we grew up in a time where what was rewarded was certainty and confidence. And really when you, you know, it's easy to, to, to think that that's still how pe- successful people are become successful is that, you know, they have a great deal of certainty and they have a great deal of confidence. But in fact, uh, you know, 
people that that facade can be really difficult to, to keep propped up. And um, it doesn't seem as though the people that appear to be most certain and confident are necessarily the happiest or experiencing a life filled with well-being and a sense of flourishing. So, and I totally agree that, that in the face of that, what we should be cultivating in our children and through our parenting, and it would be nice if it happened through our educational system, is this idea of approaching life with a sense of, a greater sense of curiosity, yep. courage. Right. And that, um, I think that's I think that's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's also an interpretation. Like, here's a story um, that I was taught how we see life. Two little boys are running. Exact same, you know, way of running. They hit a, 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 a curb in the, you know, a crack in the curb, and they both fall. They both are bleeding on their knees. One looks at it and says, ow. I got to be careful. I got to really hold back because this hurts and and life can hurt me. The other boy looks at his knee and says, oh, wow, look, it's bleeding. It hurts. But, you know, I can tell it's, you know, it's stopping now and my body heals itself. Wow, this is so cool. So if I just go for it and if I fall, my body is going to heal. That's all I have to do guess what happens to those two boys when they grow up? Same situation, different mindset, different interpretation. And I think as parents, it's important for us to show our children how we see life, how we see failure as not a setback, but really as a comeback so that when it's their turn, when they have a setback, they're modeling what we model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think resiliency is such an undervalued and undertaught tool and it's and it's the only thing that um it's probably the the one thing that that matters most in an age like this where there is a great deal of uncertainty no matter how certain we think we are that we can figure it out there's we're surrounded by uncertainty and and just the the idea of having an honest to honestly look at ourselves and say okay what do i truly what do i truly control and yep. what and and what is outside of my control? And I mean, if you're honest, you can you you control nothing that's outside of yourself. You don't, you don't even control your own your body, right? Yeah. Your body will fail you. Your body your body is prone to illness and disease and infirmity yeah. and all sorts of things. So really, ultimately, the only thing that you control is your I I call it mindset and posture. You control the way that you choose to perceive things. And you control what you decide to do next. Now, between that and everything else, which is outside of your control, there are all sorts of levels, and you know it's very nuanced. But there's 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 things where uh, many opportunities, situations, circumstances, and people that are within your influence. Doesn't mean that you're going to con- con- control the results, but you can exert yourself in a way that can influence a result that, you know, hopefully would be beneficial to yourself um, and to others. But we, you know, we, we, well, you spoke to the, um, the educational system focusing on, you're talking to somebody that homeschooled two boys all the way through high school. So I grew, uh, and, and the irony is I came out of college um, and my first 
couple of jobs were uh, as school teachers. So um, <laughs> it's uh, I, I have seen I have seen that world from the inside um, and not really experienced it very much as a parent um, shepherding a kid through that process. But I mean, uh, I, I, I because I work with kids every day as a as a guitar teacher. I you know, and right now they're taking their SOL. So I. I, you know, kids are coming in in tears and kids are coming in stressed <laughs> out and kids, um, kids can't wait for school to be over. Yes. Um, so uh, resiliency is, uh, is an undervalued and, and undertaught, uh, concept that where parents can have some influence where they can, they can bring that into their children's lives. What are some other things that, that are, that are too often missed out, by our educational system where parents should really be taking, you know, the lead and cultivating. Uh, I think um, kids. a lot of people, this uh, acknowledging and validating. I think too many times uh, people think that when you acknowledge or validate someone, you're saying, I agree with you. But sometimes a child just has a bad day or they don't get something and they're upset and children, you, you as a parent know, Scott, sometimes you don't understand why that's such a big deal <laughs> to a child compared to, uh, you know, what we have to deal with. But I think that when you really know how to acknowledge and then validate, you know, like what acknowledging is like saying, let me see what you're saying is, you know, or what you're saying sounds to me like this. Is that right? And then validating is just saying, hey, you know what? that's really perfectly normal that you feel that way. And I know it's something that's really upsetting when it happens. And I know I can see that you feel hurt, but it really makes sense that you feel really resentful or angry. And I, when we can do this, they learn that it's okay to feel these things. And they actually get out of these emotions faster than saying, you know what, like, what's the big deal? Why are you getting so upset? That makes them even more upset. And they're in, they're so into their body, they can't see straight. Yeah, well, and into their own heads, and which yeah. I mean, I think we all are to a certain extent. But I love, I love that um, acknowledgement and validate idea because to me, um, that speaks to maybe one of the most important things that we need to bring into our parenting and into our lives in general is this idea of empathy, the yeah. ability to see, hear and understand somebody else's feeling, somebody else's point of view, somebody else's experience. doesn't mean that you have to agree with it. doesn't right. mean that you have to condone it if it's if yep. it's unhealthy or negative in some way. But just this idea, and when you were speaking earlier, this thought popped into my head. You know, we, we live now in an age of instant gratification, and that was not something that you and I experienced. We didn't have a device in our pocket that could connect us no, to yeah. human being on the planet. Um, and we didn't have access. I mean, when you think about this um, computer that we carry around in our pocket can connect us to anybody we in the world that we want to connect to. And it has the world, the, 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 the knowledge of, you know, humankind is locked within this thing. We can access any information, any, any information that we, so it's, it's a human, it's just, it's a very powerful tool, but at the same time, um, it does, it does cultivate this idea that, you know, now I want it now. 
I, you know, I want to, I, I, I see a book, I want it now. And, <laughs> and tomorrow is too late. You know, I, yeah. I need it today. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the things that I remember um, hearing about recently is that one of the biggest indicators for how successful a child will be as an adult is the marshmallow test. Have you heard about this study? No. So it, it, you probably couldn't do this in this day and age, but so I think it was in the 50s. Um, they did this study where they had a kid in a room and um, a, the, the researcher would uh, come in with a, a marshmallow, put the marshmallow on the table in front of the kid and say, okay, I'm going to leave for 15 minutes or whatever it was. And here's the deal. If I come back and this marshmallow is still here, I'm going to give you another marshmallow and you can, you can go ahead and eat them. But if I come in and this marshmallow has been um, touched or eaten, then that's it. No more, no more marshmallows. <laughs> and so they did this study and um, they, you know, ran cameras while the, 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 the kids, okay. Right. And so, you know, some kids, you know, you could just see really wrestling with this thing. And then like some kids tried to like take out the guts of the marshmallow and then kind of <laughs> put it back together. Um, but what they showed over time, over this, the course of this, whatever it was, 20 year study, that the kids that had the, the possessed the restraint to leave the marshmallow alone for that period of time uh, and get two marshmallows performed better uh, in every life uh, life endeavor. They went to better schools. They had better relationships. They had better uh, marriages. They had better jobs. They earned more income. They lived in better neighborhoods. I mean, uh, and it was all came down to this um, idea of self-restraint, temperance, you know, being able to delay gratification is what the study wow. was all about. Interesting. We, we don't live in an age that encourages that right now. Um, any thoughts on, you know, the parent, the parent's role in cultivating that or any specific strategies for, or ways that you can think of that, um, can help us cultivate that. Not, not even in our kids anymore, but also in ourselves. In us, I was thinking, you know, we are odd times. That's the mixed messages we send, right? We tell them to get off their electronics and here we are on our phone, checking Facebook emails and everything. Um, so I think, uh, a great way is just simple meditation is teaching your children to be grounded, conscious. And I, I mean, my, I tell my son, I mean, he still gets YouTube, but I say, but he goes there for meditation for stress meditation, whatever it is, he automatically goes on there and he met, he searches for it and he'll sit there and listen to it. And so when he gets anxious, whatever it is, I say, stop, go find, he actually has found apps on the phone now where he says in the morning, you know, I have to do my meditation at seven in the morning before I go to school. And research has found, as you know, Scott, and you can just, anybody can re do the research on what the powerful result is for meditation. And I think it not only helps with the instant gratification, but just an overall wellness, mentally, physically, spiritually. Yeah, I totally agree. I think um, the uh, the Romans had a, called it the hicket nunc, the here and now, and so much of ancient philosophy is a, is about including not just um, 
you know, ancient Greek and Roman philosophy, but ancient, uh, um, you know, Asian and um, Eastern yeah. philosophy is is about being present in the here yeah. and now. And it's, you, I, I have had my own struggles with um, uh, being a little bit too uh, addicted to my technology. And so I, at first, um, I, I challenged myself to stop bringing my phone when I went, you know, when I, on my way to work, I stop it to get a coffee and I um, stop at the bank and I, you know, might stop to get, go grocery shopping or whatever. And now I just, I, the, the, I tell myself I have to leave my phone in the car when I am out. Okay. Because I want to be. The thing is, technology is good. I, I don't want people to think that it's bad. And that's why with my kids, I don't take it away. I say, okay, well, you can't play video games on there, but you can go on your meditation app and use it. So that way they're learning that, you know, there's a good and bad and you, exactly. you just use it wisely. And I would suggest to those parents who have young kids, and this is what I did with my kids, because you're not just going to get them to sit there for five, 10 minutes to meditate. Do as a family. And what I did was I, when they were younger, three, four, five, six, I, we would light candles. So you can get those battery ones where mm-hmm. it's, you know, it was not, it's not harmful and they get to turn it on and we will be in a room filled with candles and they get to hold their own candle and they can stare at their candle. And they're, if they're under six, seven years old, they can walk around the room as long as they just hold their candle and, and stare at it. Um, it's an electronic candle, but it looks just like a candle. And that alone, just letting them roam around the room with only the candles lit will get them present. And as they grow older, as my kids are now 10 and 13, they can do it on our own. Sometimes we do it together before they go to bed, but now literally they have their own time where they know when it's important for them. Yeah. Well, you bring up a good point. Technology is a tool tools don't aren't inherently good or bad tools right. tool the, the goodness or badness is determined by how we decide we to use, use them right um, and so one last point to, to end on because I think we've touched on some really uh, so resiliency mindfulness and then um, the last thing that leapt to my mind was the idea of of gratitude which is again scientifically proven to be one of the most beneficial practices that we can um, participate in that will cultivate a sense of well-being and tranquility in our lives. This idea of, you know, being uh, being grateful for what we have, being grateful for the opportunities that we have. Um, and if uh, I, we always try to even, uh, you know, challenge our kids to be grateful for, for the challenges that life throws at us, because that's, that's where growth and, and, you know, personal growth and um, improvement come. We don't get better by doing easy things over and over again. We get better by doing harder things. Yep. Any, any ideas or, or um, thoughts or practices for parents on cultivating gratitude? Um, I think when you start understanding your children better, it will help for you to be grateful to them because when children feel that you're grateful for them, they automatically exudes back, right? They are basically our mirror. And what I love about, I don't know if you heard of uh, the five love languages by Dr. Gary Chapman. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Gary Chapman um, believes that there are five universal ways that people express and interpret love and that everyone has a primary and a secondary love language. And you can actually go online and just 
do five love languages, there's an assessment that takes maybe five, 10 minutes, and you can find out what your primary and secondary. So the five love languages are words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch. And what he says is that when you find what's the primary and the secondary, so say your child is your even your wife, you know, say, say your wife, her first primary is words of affirmation and her second is acts of service. Now, does that mean that if you give her physical touch, the hug, kiss, she's not going to like it? She is going to like it, but, but not as much as if you gave her words of affirmation, which is expressing um, affection, praise, appreciation. She will just light up. And you can have your children take this quiz. And so when you find out what their primary and secondary is, you show your gratitude and appreciation using their primary language. They will just exude joy. And in turn, when they feel that they are loved by you, they're going to appreciate you back. Awesome. So we've circled back to empathy, which is a great place for uh, for us to wrap up. So before I let you go, Jacqueline, would you please just um, share again where where folks uh, that are tuning in to the replay or here live can connect with you online and, and the work that you're doing? Absolutely. You can email me at info at integrativeminds.com to learn more about the eight-week online program. You can visit me at integrativeminds.com. And on that website, you'll find the link to the radio show, my at me as a speaker and everything. Fantastic. So yes, I definitely encourage people to tune into Parent Pump, Pump Radio. I understand that you have a really fascinating guest coming up. Uh, and yeah, that's <laughs> named Scott Perry. Oh, that guy? Nah, he's no good. I'd skip that one. Um, well, listen, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in. If you're still with us, we appreciate your time and attention. Please connect with Jacqueline Wynn at uh, integrativeminds.com. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. And it's always good to hear from you at becreativeonpurpose.com as well. Remember the words of Epictetus, learning that does not lead to action is useless. So go out there now and share your best work with those that need it. It really matters. Jacqueline T.D. Wynn, thank you so much for your generosity and being here and for all the great work that you do. Thank you, Scott. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you're still with us, we really appreciate your time and attention. Please connect with our guest wherever they live online. And it's always good to hear from you at BeCreativeOnPurpose.com. Now, remember the words of Epictetus. Learning that does not lead to action is useless. So go out there and share your best work with those that need it. It really matters.